Good morning, church. Let's give Jeff a round of applause for him seeing. It's really not as easy as it looks. I appreciate that. Welcome also to the sanctuary. You're going on right now. We appreciate you being here as well. Well, this weekend, as you've guessed, it is about volunteering. And as you walk through the door this morning, you were greeted by a, a volunteer greeter. You, you might have went to the bookstore, and you worked with a volunteer bookstore a, attendee. You might have had something to eat at the cafe or drink at the coffee bar, both volunteer situations. As you walked through the door, you received your bulletin from a volunteer. As you, came, as you sat down, uh, the slides were actually put in order by a volunteer. And right now, a volunteer runs the... Uh, in, in the, uh, the slide booth there, uh, the, most of the, the whole band is volunteer, except we have a worship pastor who's paid and myself is paid. You've guessed it. Just about everything we're, we're, we're experiencing today would not be possible without volunteers. And so that's what we're doing today. If you're in the sanctuary, you walked through and you had the same experience. You had, you had the greeter, your coffee bar, your experience next door is the same way. It's all done by volunteers. And so we appreciate that. And with that, I'd like you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. John 13. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place, he being Jesus. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You may be seated. So I want to, to understand this scripture a little better, I'm going to give you an example. Uh, about 15, 17 years ago, I was uh, in my undergrad years at Alfred University in New York State, just a couple hours south of Buffalo, New York. My wife and I are both from just north of Buffalo. Uh, and so there's a group called InterVarsity, and they partner with campuses, and they're student or faculty-led or even volunteer-led, uh, and they hold church services on a weekend. So our college is about 2,500 person large, and I and it's Normal Sunday, InterVarsity would attend between 50 and 100 people. So it was significant for the size college we had. This particular Sunday, a pastor came down from Buffalo. And I've, I've heard him preach before. I was excited about hearing his word. I uh, wanted to hear what he was going to say about scripture and then and help interpret it for me to understand it better. I was excited. At InterVarsity in, in New York, we would actually go to the student cafe afterwards and whoever preached would join us. And so we got to learn more from the pastors. It was a really good experience. So I've actually had lunch with this pastor before. Great guy. Well, this particular Sunday, he started off much like we did, except for the reading of God's word, we didn't rise. We just stayed seated while he read. So he started reading, and he started in John 1. I started in John 13 this morning, but he started in John 1, and he started reading. Five minutes later, he's still reading. And I'm thinking, what is this sermon going to be about? Five minutes of reading? How is it? There's no time to interpret all this. Well, he didn't stop. 10 minutes later, 15, 20, 30, 35 minutes later, he's still reading the word of God from John. He's probably on John 8 or 9 by now. I mean, he just kept reading. I thought, I've been duped. I came to here to hear a good sermon. You know, I'm a college student. Getting out of bed at 10 o'clock was a pain for me on Sundays. I wanted to sleep. And, uh, and I'm here. I got dressed, ready. And you're going to just read. I could have stayed in my dorm room in my apartment and just read. So I'm sitting there thinking, what is he doing to me? 
And so I'm, do I get up and walk out? No, I didn't get up and walked out. Nobody walked out. I think, I've heard you preach before. Why are you doing this to me? So I sat and thought, and he never told us why. He literally just, he just looked at his watch. Okay, let's close in prayer. He just stopped mid-reading. Mid just, just closed in prayer. How dare he do that to me? Well, well, as I sat there for 30 minutes, I thought to myself, what is he teaching me right now? He's teaching me that I need to get into the Word of God. I need to read this daily. And so a good pastor, their job isn't to change you for five minutes and say, well, you know, I feel better now, and then walk out unchanged. I'm talking to you today about a sermon I heard 15 years ago. He did his job. He might have made me mad that day or frustrated, but for 15 years I haven't forgotten. I won't forget this sermon. And all he taught me that day was read your Bible. And I'm going to give you five points today, and, uh, and you probably won't remember all five because I'm not going to do my job like he did. But he had one point to give me, and that was to read my Bible. He did his job. So Jesus, hours before his crucifixion, he knew, this is what we just read in John, John 13. He washed the disciples' feet. Hours before the crucifixion, he just, he said, you know, I've already preached them, and I, I wrote it out, John 13, Matthew 5, Luke 6, Matthew 19, Matthew 22, on and on and on and on, about a dozen different scriptures I can find where Jesus said, love your neighbor, serve others. If you love your God, love your neighbor, love your God, lo love, serve. He did it multiple times. He says, well, you know, and I'm thick-headed, and I think the disciples weren't as thick-headed as I am, but so he finally said, I got about 12 hours left before I go to that cross. What am I going to do to prove a point? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take off my tunic. I'm going to wrap a towel on my waist. I'm going to get down on my hands and knees, and I'm going to put my disciples' feet in my hands, and I'm going to wash their feet. I'm just going to wash their feet because I don't, I think this is going to stick with them. And so he washed all 12 disciples' feet. Even the one who betrayed him, Judas Iscariot, he washed his feet. And he got up and he said, now no servant is greater than his master, no messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus being the master, we being his, his disciples, we're no greater than Jesus. And Jesus said, if I'm willing to get down, so should you. So you're probably saying today, well, Chris, uh, I have never washed my feet. I, I don't really wash my own feet. I just let the water kind of soak over them. <laughs> I don't like touching feet. It's not in today's culture. No, we're not going to take shoes off and, and socks. But what, what it is, though, is, is serving others. That's the point of what he did. And in some Christian circles, you might in a small group wash others' feet as a symbolic representation of what Jesus did. There's nothing wrong with that, and that happens. But, but in today's society, it's serving others. It's getting into what is washing feet now, holding a door open for someone, seeing someone struggle with groceries and help them get them to their car. On a snowy day, that's especially true. I've seen, I've seen folks who, who might have to use a walker coming out of mire, and you want to help them because in the snow, when there's this much slush, they're barely making it through. Help those folks out. Wash their feet. Pushing a chair. It's stunning, but when you get a chair pushing for you, you're kind of like, wow, I appreciate that. It's kind of out of the ordinary, but, but I appreciate that. Help clean up. Thanks, Steve. Great dinner. Hope you and your wife enjoy a pile of dishes and you walk out. Help wash the dishes. Wash your feet. And quite frankly, washing feet, and as sad as this has become, has, has been, let's put this, this guy down and let's look at our neighbor in their eye and focus on them. That's washing feet. Unfortunately, that's become, but that's a washing feet in today's society. So we're going to delve into that today. 
we're going to delve into those, those points. There are five points. You'll see them in your bulletin. And if you're using your app on your phone, uh, I'll excuse you not looking into my eyes. But you can, uh, you can check your church app. You can write down the notes as we go along. Point number one is we are all equal but different. We are all equal but different. Romans 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Romans 12. He gave seven different examples of how to identify what you're good at, then do it. If you lead, do it diligently. If you teach, teach. If you give mercy, give mercy cheerfully. If you give, give generously. He went down the list. So Romans 12, point number one, we are all equal, but we are different. Find out why you're different. Find out why you're different. What makes you unique? What did God give you? And then apply it, then do. So Romans 12, seven times we hear, this is your gift, do. Gift, do. Gift, do. He didn't say gift, hide underneath, of a, underneath the cover. Gift, stay at home. Gift, make excuses. Get, right? That's not what Romans 12 did. Romans 12 said, if you're a teacher, teach. If you prophesy, prophesy in accordance with your faith. If you give, give generously. Do it. Pretty simple. Point number two. You'll be in time for the Colts game. Guarantee it. We all have spiritual sacrifices to offer. We all have spiritual sacrifices to offer. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 5. As you come to him the living stone, him being Jesus Christ. As you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. Rejected by humans and precious to God, chosen to, by him. If you were to speak to an Israelite right now from the Old Testament, they knew what you were talking about. If you said, look, he was a stone rejected, oh, I get that. Here's why they get that. An Israelite would receive a bundle of stones. They might have baked or quarried their own stones because they're going to build they get the pile of stones, they find the one that's got the, the broken edges and the cracks, and they set that one aside. That's not for the foundation piece, right? So they know what it means to reject a stone by human nature. So you said Jesus was a stone rejected by men. They said, wow, he, he's that stone that looks bad that we reject that God didn't? Yeah, that's the one. It goes on. By the way, Jesus was called our cornerstone, and he was called our capstone. So, so although Jesus was rejected by man, he was deemed in Scripture to be the most important stone on the bottom and the most important stone at the top. That's our, that's our Lord and Savior, rejected by men. You also, like living stones, we also, being sanctified by Christ, those who accept Christ, Lord and Savior, we, like living stones, as Christ's hands and feet, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. What an awesome promise. We're being built. Our living stones, us today, are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There is a lot of theology in that statement. We're not going to go over all of it, but the spiritual sacrifices is the point I want to dwell on for a moment. Spiritual sacrifices. God, God can make anything he wants. He created these chairs. He, he actually created the matter that we see around us, the oxygen we breathe. He's the one that created the oxygen. He's the one that creates energy. He, it's not an issue for him to create or destroy matter and energy. See, we can't do that. 
Laws of physics, as far as we know them, we can only turn energy into matter, matter into energy. We can combine electrons, neutrons, and protons and create something bigger. We do it in particle accelerators. We think you're geniuses, but we're, we're, we're okay. But God actually created that stuff, and he created the energy. We can't do that. So God doesn't need me to give him my phone or my wallet or my money. or my. What he wants from me is a spiritual sacrifice that, that he didn't build, which is my heart. Well, he built my heart, but he wants me to give it to him. You can have this. You've got my heart. That's the spiritual sacrifice that he's talking about. An example of that would try to go to, to Europe and buy your lunch in France in U.S. dollars or buy it in the Canadian loonie or the toonie or the Japanese yen in, in France. They speak euro. They don't speak U.S. dollar. It doesn't happen. Or come on over to the United States and go to McDonald's, good old America, and buy a Big Mac with a euro. I, I guarantee, well, except for my friend Pierre, he doesn't know one here has a euro on him to do that. So that's spiritual currency, spiritual sacrifice. God speaks in this spiritual currency. Don't buy a, a, a European hot dog with U.S. dollars. Don't speak to God and, hey, God, you can have my phone, but you can't have my heart. That's not what he's interested in. There's a lot of spiritual sacrifice going on on campus right now. Right now, if you have children, you walked your children next door and you dropped them off to a volunteer. Chances are the person behind the check-in desk was a volunteer. And if you were new here, hopefully they helped walk you where you're supposed to go. And when you actually handed your child off to someone in a room, there's a good chance that was a volunteer. The reason I say good chance is we have a few paid uh, children's pastors. But the majority of who you're experiencing, interacting with, those folks are volunteers. And I just gave you the sequence of walking through these doors. It's a volunteer-based system. You guys might have heard about the College Connection. You know, we announced, I'm it something like this. After today's service at 10.30, in the chapel, we'll have a free College Connection lunch. If you're a college-age student or college student, join us. You've heard those words. i got to memorize. Join us at College Connection Lunch. That event has gone to about 150 to 170 college students. Praise God. The problem is, is the chapel's full. So we as a staff are looking back saying, now what do we do? Well, let's, let's, let's move into the sanctuary of the College Connection. We've got 30 round tables. Capacity's over 1,400 people. We don't have that many chairs, but the capacity's there. We just need a kitchen, okay? Let's turn our workroom into a kitchen. Let's move our workroom. Let's, let's move our workroom to room 102, Room 102, we need two walls, we need electrical conduit, we need sound insulation. Man, my purpose isn't for you to remember what I just said about the sequence. My purpose is there's a lot of things happening. So we sent an email out to our trustees and we said, trustees, we need some walls built. We need help turning our workroom into a kitchen. Can anybody do this? And sure enough, a couple folks stepped forward and said, I can build that wall. I can run the electrical conduit. I can paint. I can, I can plumb. I used to be, I'm a retired plumber. I can plumb. You won't see these guys up behind the pulpit. But what they did was they gave their spiritual sacrifice, like Romans 12. I can plumb, therefore I should plumb the new kitchen. I can build a wall, therefore I should probably build the wall that's going to let college students come to Christ. So I spoke to the chairman of the trustees, because he's the one who's helping build the wall, and there's a team of guys doing it. They built that wall in about four hours. I would build that wall in about four weeks. They built two walls. They framed them in. Then they elect, 
and so I, I asked him, I said, what, what is it? What's going on? Why did you do this? And he said, well, Chris, I don't speak as well as I used to. And I know God, God showed me how I can use my hands, and I've made a living my whole life with my hands. And if that's what I got to give so that some college students come to know Jesus, well, by God, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build some walls. And so here's what's amazing. He was just in last service. And the college students that were in last service didn't know this man. And they may not ever know him until they get to heaven and they see him. He built the wall that moved the workroom, that let the kitchen, that let them get to the, the bigger venue to bring them to Christ. That's spiritual sacrifice. The people that are watching your children right now, you may not know their face because they might not be the one you dropped your child off to, but they're the ones in there right now. And they're the ones that are going to help bring your, your, your child or daughter to Christ. My son last night came home and said, David killed Goliath. <laughs> Praise God for that volunteer. We've got, we've got ushers you just saw. They give tirelessly. We've got people you don't even know. These bulletins that we, we hold and touch every week, they're, they're folded and they're, they're assembled by volunteers who work diligently week after week and it's their thing to do. They, they come in and they do this. If someone passes away and we do a funeral on site, there's a volunteer, a group of women who actually prepare meals that, and they're sitting in this room right now and you don't know who they are because they just do it quietly. There's the plow team last year who, who worked for 14 years at this who'd wake up last year, record snow in Indiana, negative 47 degrees. They were here at 3, 4, 5 a.m. to plow feet of snow with their half-ton pickup trucks and their V-plow. You won't see them up here preaching. They won't, see, they won't play the guitar. And quite frankly, they're in here right now and they're sitting here and you're not going to know who they are, but they're the ones who allowed us to have service last year. And they just did it. They just came here because that's spiritual sacrifice. Now, this year, they're turning over the reins, so if anyone wants to step up, they can. But, um, but they did it for 14 years diligently because of the heart of Christ, not for human recognition. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And the list goes on, so, so I apologize if I didn't recognize your department in particular, but you know what you're doing for God. Point number three, more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed to give than to receive. Here we are in October. November and December are coming. And we are going to hear everywhere we are. And we'll buy little decorations. And we'll buy the scripture, Acts 20, 35. And it will be up all over our house. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's cliche at this point. My little seven-year-old son, it's more blessed to give than to receive. My four-year-old, it's more blessed to give than receive. My wife and I, hon, I didn't give you much because it's more blessed to give than receive. You know, no, that's not funny to her anymore. Um, but it's cliche at some point, but there's power in this. And let me, let me unfold this. Let's unpack this together. Acts 20, 35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In Proverbs eleven twenty five, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. This is a reality. This is the world we live in. This is a spiritual currency God speaks. I don't know the number of car accidents I have not been involved in. I don't know the cancer my wife has not had. I have two healthy children. 
I'm healthy and pretty vital. I don't know what could have befallen me. But I walk around and shame on me if I become complacent about that. The medical community is a great example. Tetanus, polio, measles, mumps, rubella. The list goes on. We don't sweat those anymore. But Alzheimer's, cancer, and now Ebola. Boy, we're sweating those, aren't we? God, why don't you rescue us? He's like, I did. Measles, mumps, rubella, polio, and the list goes on. You don't worry about those. But yet you've become so complacent in my blessing, you now look at me and, and scorn me for what we're still yet to conquer. And God revealed that all to us. So that's a great example of when the lie sets in. Satan's lie. God said in his word, I will bless those who bless. I will refresh those who refresh. I'm here for you. I'm going to do that. Here's what Satan needs to do. Satan needs to step in and steal that blessing. He, he can't steal it, though. So what he's got to do is pretend like we don't see it. He's got to, he's got to busy us up. He's got to make us ignore God's blessing. And in doing so, he renders us powerless or less powerful. Because God's saying, I've got all these blessings. Have you ever sat in a room with a family who's got a quarter million dollar middle class home, $150,000 middle class home? They've got two cars. They've got three beautiful kids. They've got a stable job, maybe two, maybe three. They got job, they're, they're, they're going there. They attend church. Kids are excelling in school. Kids are excelling in academics, excelling in sports. They're being drafted for, for all kinds of regional games, volleyball, baseball, basketball, you name it. They're just top. They're top. And you sit with this family, and they're forlorn. Maybe you're that family, and you're depressed. And, and, and I've actually heard this before. Show me the blessing. God did. It's the lie of Satan to steal it and to hide it. You are blessed. Look what you're sitting in. Look what you're driving in. Look what you, the health of your family. And then God says, I, I don't know what heaven's going to look like for me, but I know when I get there, God might say, hey, look at all this stuff. Well, that's horrible, God. And he says, yeah, that's what I stopped from happening to you. Isn't that awesome? Aren't those blessings? Yeah, you're right, God. It's, it's that constant battle. Here's what happens, though. If we believe the lie of Satan, if we believe, God, you were lying when you said it's more blessed to give than receive. You're lying. I'm tired. You know, my kids are in JAA. They do DCFC. They do Metro. They do it all. I coach them. I'm getting tired. I got to back out of something. I'm not getting blessed doing this church thing anymore. I'm going to back out of my volunteering spot. I, I, sorry, God. Just got to do it. I got to make life less busy, less crazy. That's the lie of Satan. A volunteer is a powerful entity. Everything we've just experienced today, most of it was, was carried out by volunteers today. Most of what you experienced was a volunteer-based experience. So it's power. There's people coming to Christ today because of the work of volunteers, because of what we do. A volunteer who stops because they stop believing in the blessing is like a warship in the ocean full of warheads with no fuel. A volunteer who stops volunteering is like a warship in the ocean with no fuel, full of power and majesty, going nowhere, getting tossed about by the waves, taking all God has given them, all God has blessed them with, and holding it up on the ocean, and it's getting tossed about. 
There have been times I've heard from a volunteer, I got to drop out. I get that. We all get tired. We do need to drop out at times. So drop out when you need to drop out. But I encourage you, stay plugged in, stay focused, and reevaluate what you're doing. If you got to drop out of this, look at what else you can do. I encourage you within weeks, start something else or get plugged in. Because almost to a T, yeah, I haven't been volunteering. Oh, yeah, what's going on? Well, we're, we're doing more baseball now. We're traveling a lot with baseball. Yeah, I haven't seen a church lately. Well, we stopped attending UC. Really, where are you going? Well, we're looking for another church. Okay, good. Where are you checking out? Well, we check out about every two months, we'll check out a new church. But there's baseball. And so what I hear from a volunteer is I hear, well, I'm, 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 I'm unplugging from church activities, but I, I'm going to plug into secular or something that will not have the eternal reward that we're looking at. And then eventually Satan creeps in deeper and says, you don't really even need to attend there. They're hypocrites anyways. They're, yes, we're hypocrites. I, I actually would admit we are hypocrites. Every church member is a hypocrite. <laughs> so, but that's the point. Don't let Satan steal your blessing. Ask yourself, am I blessed? The answer is yes. Solomon in all of his splendor did not have one of these. Within a fraction of a second, I can access almost any data I want to know. Don't know the muscle of a human body? I can find out. Don't know a bone? Don't know where a planet is going to be today? Why do I need to know where Mars is? But I got an app for that. And I just go like this, and it tells, there's Mars, and I can see it. It's amazing. Solomon, all of his splendor, didn't have this thing. I'm blessed. Mom, Dad, I'd love to speak to you. You're in New York right now. Click. You could all see my parents right now if we wanted to. Around the world, if we want. It's amazing. We're blessed. But we're complacent with it. Point number four. The law of reciprocity. My wife woke up Friday morning. She had a dream, and she said, I had this dream that you used big words all throughout your sermon and that they were on the slides. And I said, hon, it's too late. I did, and they're already done. They're uploaded. So reciprocity. For those who use a reciprocal saw, reciprocal means to go out and to come back. A yo-yo goes down, comes back, goes down, comes back, reciprocating. So law of reciprocity is used by sociologists, psychologists, but it's all biblical, and that's where it started. The law of reciprocity means what you give out comes back. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's simple. Reciprocity. Learn a big word today. Luke 6, 38. If you give to others, you will be given a full amount in return. It will be packed down, shaken together, and spilling over into your lap. Really? This is the, that's that blessing part? What I give comes back, packed down, spilling over to my lap. And Satan says, no, 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 it's not really spilling into your lap. And we believe that lie. The way you treat others is the way you'll be treated. Matthew 7, 12. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Fulfillment of the law. Luke 6, 31. Treat others the same way you want to treat them. Bible is very clear. It's not a secret. doesn't hide it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So, so point number one we already covered, which is don't let Satan steal that blessing. So it does come back. It is spilling over into your lap. You've got so much blessing in return. Acknowledge that blessing. It's really there. If we start focusing on all the things that are wrong, you'll never look at the things that are right. So focus on that. It's point one. Point two of there is do you actually treat people the way you want to be treated? Do you do that? 
I think I'm little Mr. Sunshine. When I take pictures of my family, I am grinning ear to ear. I mean, my smile is so big, and my smile, at least that's the way when I feel I take the picture. And then my wife brings the camera. I'm like, huh, let me look at the picture. Let me, and I look at that, and my smile is flat. And I'm not as, not as jubilant as I thought I was going to be. I thought, no, for sure I was exuding an aura of positivity when I took that picture. Surely. Have you done that? And as I've gotten older, it's gotten worse. I don't know why. I like my pictures less and less. Let me give you an example of how we can we not realize what we're putting out. There was a woman in a restaurant. She was sitting there. They sat down. And she noticed when she got there, this woman who just, just scowled at her. She didn't know who she was. She's scowling at her. You know, furrowed brow. And as she ate, she re- she'd look up and there was this frown again. And she'd keep eating. And she was, she was just tending to her dinner with her husband. And so finally, after an hour of this endurance, she pulled the, pulled the waiter aside and said, do you see that woman over there? She has been scowling at me the whole meal, and she just is not, not a pleasant person. And the waiter turned and said, ma'am, that's a mirror. <laughs> Sometimes the best way to reflect that is to look at ourselves in a true light. And sometimes if we were to really get back what we're putting out, we don't like it. But sometimes that's exactly what we're giving. So I, I suggest we analyze it. And this includes me. It's not, not, it's me. I'm talking to me here. You're overhearing this. Analyze how I am. How am I truly putting off? Because sometimes when I take my picture, I think I'm Mr. Sunshine. And I was not. My smile was flat and I thought I was smiling ear to ear. Point number five. Volunteering get you close to God. Volunteering gets you close to God. John 19. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea. Okay, after these things. What these things are. We just talked about how Jesus was on his hands and knees washing feet. Then he got up. Then they had the last supper. Then Jesus was crucified. Those are the things we're talking about. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one. So Jesus is still on the cross. He is dead, and he's still on the cross. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds weight, or 112-ounce weights, which in today's measure is about 71 to 75 pounds. So Nicodemus, who before had come to Jesus by night, now came bearing 75 pounds of myrrh, aloe, and spices. If you want to see when he came to him by night, it was John 3. I encourage reading John 3. We're going to get into that in a minute. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Let me explain what just happened. So it says in John 19, 38, after these things, after these things that occurred was Jesus is freshly crucified. He's still on the cross. Joseph of Arimathea, who we believe is a Pharisee, he could be a Sadducee, but we know he's one of the two. The Bible says he's a member of the ruling council. So is Nicodemus. So Joseph and Nicodemus, 
both members of the Jewish ruling council, both members of the Sanhedrin. Guess which group just crucified Jesus? The Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. So these two members of the Sanhedrin came and they decided to bury Jesus. That's an important point to point out. Other points. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night in John 3. He asked Jesus some questions. And Jesus' response was to some of these questions, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, how can I be born again? Do I climb mother's womb? Jesus says, no, it's not about the physical. It's about the spiritual and by water. You must be born again. So Jesus explained first to Nicodemus the concept of born again. Then if you continue on John 3, you get to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever shall believe shall not perish but have eternal life. That was Jesus talking to Nicodemus in front of Jesus' disciples. So you could say, from all biblical account, Nicodemus is the first born-again Christian who ever heard about John 3.16. That Nicodemus, a member of the ruling council. And he came to Jesus by night because if he came to him by day, the, the ruling council would say, we found you out. Nicodemus, by the way, was a, vo a vocal, <coughs> excuse me, a vocal opponent of the Sanhedrin crucifying Jesus. When the high priest was saying, what shall we do? How shall we kill this man, Jesus? Nicodemus said, we shouldn't. What have he done? He should at least be allowed to say what he has done. He was, he was silenced. So Nicodemus is, is, is a born-again, John 3.16 Christian. Joseph of Arimathea, he came and asked Pilate. He risked his reputation. Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of, aloe, of aloes, myrrhs, and spices. I did some research. 75 pounds of that, the burial spices, in today's dollars would be about $150,000 to $200,000. Okay, say the research I did was half wrong. Half, and I was, I was double. Say it's $100,000. He brought a middle-class house to the burial of a man that he was doing in secret. He did not want to be revealed. He didn't want anybody to know that he was a secret follower of Jesus. Nicodemus quietly brought an estate's worth of burial spices to a man three days later wasn't going to be using those spices. Joseph Arimathea brought a tomb with which he either had hewn out himself or had hewn out of a rock by a servant. Regardless to say, he had a rich man's tomb. I'll be buried in a poor man's tomb. When I go, I will have a casket that probably costs $2,000 to $4,000. I'll probably have a plot of land that costs just about the same, and it'll be the size of this stage, and that's where my body's going to rest. That's a poor man's tomb. When all said and done, my funeral might cost $15,000 U.S. Anybody who's buried a spouse, a loved one, or parent is shocked by that price tag when it happens. But we deal with funerals here at the church. So the, the, that is my spot. Well, when I drive into a, a, a a cemetery, I see that giant monolith. You know that one that you're like, who's buried there? Things as tall as this room is tall, big, it's all one stone. That's the kind of place Jesus got buried. He, it says he was in, the, the tomb with which he was laid was in the garden near where he was crucified. So he was put in a prominent tomb. All said and told, these men who were secret, who wanted no one to know what they were doing, they spent about a quarter million dollars for a burial that very few people were going to see. That is spiritual sacrifice. That is giving because it's the sake of giving to their Lord and Savior. 
They did it in secret. Nobody knew about it except for the women who helped them. And what's their award? I'll tell you what their award is. Joseph of Arimathea said to Pilate, Pilate, I'd like the body of Jesus. He's fresh in the cross. Nobody's taking him down. The day of Passover is coming. It needs to be done soon. Pilate said, well, fine, take the body. So two of the high council, by the way, the high council never dirtied themselves with dead bodies. In that, in that culture, if you were to touch a dead body, you were called what's unclean. You were what's termed as unclean. But they, they, so Joseph, disregarding all ritual, went up to Jesus' naked body, who was just pierced, water and blood poured out. He took the dead body off the cross. He unmounted the body, carried it over to the place where he was prepared. Nicodemus came rolling up with 75 pounds of, of an estate's worth of burial spices. And what's their award for this? They got to be as close physically as I have detected in Scripture as anybody has to this man, Jesus. Nobody was ever that close to Jesus in the history of the Bible, and that was the last moment Jesus would be physically touched by anybody. This is the same body, this is the same Jesus who, just walking down the street, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years touched the edge of his cloak and was healed from her bleeding for 12 years, of which the doctors in the day could not figure out why she was bleeding. They got to be close to that guy. That's their reward. Their spiritual sacrifice of giving up. I, I don't know what reward they've got in heaven. They risked it all. They risked their reputation. That's a spiritual sacrifice. When you risk your reputation for Christ, you've given up a spiritual sacrifice. But you say, I didn't give up any money. I didn't give up. You gave up something because you risked it for God with the right heart, with the right motive. They gave of their time. The Passover feast was coming which meant they had hours before that sun was going to rise. And at that point, that was totally against the law, and they were going to be found out. So they worked diligently probably through the night. Did you get sleep last night? I hope so, because we're in for a long night. And then they gave up their estate to do this. Now, they were wealthy men, but still, anybody giving up a vacation home is noteworthy, especially if done for the right reason. So when you volunteer, you get closer to God. Now, the ushers are prepared inside your bulletins. If you guys would like to come forward, the, the ushers, inside your bulletin, you will see this trifold that Jeff talked about. And just like in Romans 12, I want you to analyze what you do and then do it. So look at the, the, the opportunities that are in this trifold. Also in this trifold is the response card, and that's what the ushers are coming forward to collect. Please take a moment, pray about what you want to do, think about what you want to do, and, and write down your response card what you might want to do. If you're prompted to just to volunteer, but you don't know what you want to volunteer in, then just put your name down and do that, and then drop in the offering buckets when the ushers come around. I don't want you to fill out this response card under two circumstances. If you are already doing way too much, if you're already volunteering in like two spots, three spots, this card is not for you. You've already checked the box in God's eyes. If you, the ushers can go, go, ahead, go around if you want. If you, uh, so number one, if you're already in a lot of things, don't fill this card out. If, if your heart is not into volunteering right now, don't fill this out. This, the point of what I'm talking about today is not for the person who's not ready to do this, who says, I don't want to be this connected, I don't want it, this experience, then this card is not for you. Just like we give with a joyful heart, I don't want you to give of your time bele beleaguered. I don't want you to be tired of doing it. 
So take a moment, fill out this card, check your hearts. Am I ready? If you're not ready to volunteer, then just take it home and pray about it. Say, God, should I volunteer? Where should I volunteer? And after the ushers go around, uh, they'll be at the doorway. And if you hadn't had time to fill this out, you can drop it in in the offering bucket uh, on your way out. So why don't you guys go ahead and go around. Jesus didn't waste his effort that day when he got down on his hands and knees and he put the disciples' feet into his hands and he showed them by example what it means to serve. He could have preached for 12 hours on that topic that day, but he chose to show us by example what to do that day. It's actually an opportunity for us the bucket's still going around, so we'll, we'll finish up. I encourage you, uh, getting close to God does not just involve volunteering. It includes praying daily, getting in the Word of God daily, attending church regularly. The last leg of that table is volunteering, and it's a leg that some of us never get involved with. So, and quite frankly, if you don't get involved in the volunteering, the serving aspect, you, you most likely will fall out of the first three. You may stop reading daily, praying daily, attending church. Get plugged into your church. Get plugged into what's happening. And with that, let's pray. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, you are great. and You are powerful. Thank you for the gift of volunteering. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to partake in your kingdom. Thank you for giving this window to get close to you, God. Thank you for those great saints who have gone before us, who prepared the way, who were here this morning to collect the offering, to, to greet us, to fold the bulletins, to prepare the music, to get the sound right. God, we praise you for that. Thanks for sending your son, Jesus, because he died on the cross for us, and he's the holy one, and he's the way to you. And God, we confess with open mouths and open hearts that, Jesus, you are the way. We love you, God. Please bless this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.